Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. think that a man or a woman can have a deep relationship with God and still make tragic mistakes in their lives? I believe so. I believe we see testimony of it in the Word, both Old Testament and New. Now don't get me wrong. Again, the actions of David, they're not excusable in any way. They're not excusable simply because he has a relationship with God that says, oh, well, yeah, but but I trust God. You know, I said that little prayer back in fifth grade. I invited Jesus into my heart so I can do anything that I want to anytime. And God says, yeah, that's okay. You're my boy. You're my girl. No. Christians are not immune to making ungodly mistakes and taking wrong turns in their walk with the Lord. Today, Pastor David discusses this truth in the life of David. David made some terrible decisions, including adultery and murder. We're all tempted to judge his life and write off any relationship he had with the Lord. However, David's poor decision-making is a warning to us that all Christians can have lapses in judgment and fall into temptations. Stand guard. You are not immune. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message from the book of Galatians chapter 5, entitled, David. Within his own families, we have brothers raping sisters, brothers murdering brothers, and and on and on all of this stuff goes. Absalom flees the area. He remains in exile then for three years. David finally lets him come back to Jerusalem, but yet for two years he doesn't even see Absalom's face. He says, yeah, you can be in Jerusalem, but don't don't come uh, uh, again to, to my house. You know, we're, we're breaking this relationship off. It's interesting. He didn't deal with Absalom uh, at, at all. We, we read this. He didn't deal with Absalom at all when Absalom was younger. He didn't correct him for, for good or for bad. And now Absalom, in this situation, he's killed his, his stepbrother because of the situation with his sister in exile for three years, back in Jerusalem for two, without seeing his father. Finally, he sees his father. We think that everything's good. But after they've been reconciled, Absalom takes this opportunity to then overthrow his father's kingdom and ends up running his father out of town. And for further disgrace, Absalom then takes his father's concubines to himself and exposes them and himself with them on the roof of the house for all of Israel to see. Finally, during a battle, Absalom's put to death by David's main captain of his army, and David is so heartbroken over this that he goes into this great mourning. He's not, uh, again, being comforted at all. Finally, they come and say, hey, David, if you don't get over this thing, you're going to lose the entire country. They're going to turn and revolt against you. So finally, David does get over it. Recovering from, again, the heartbreak of all that's gone on before, he reestablishes his kingdom. He shows mercy to some, but he destroys others. Second Samuel 19, 
uh, through 21. And then as he grows on older in life, it would seem like he got his eyes off the protective hand of the Lord. Now God would provide for him. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 24, we find that he wants to take this census. And we don't get a whole lot of information on this. The best we can do is kind of speculate on it, that he was counting the people to, again, see how strong and mighty and powerful he was, rather than just saying, hey, you know what, it doesn't matter what I've got, God's in control of my life. So somewhere during this time, David in his spiritual life has kind of let go of the fact that God is in control of all of these things. He does this census. So here, this was going on as a punishment, not of the people, but of who? Of David. The consequence of David's sin meant the life of 70,000 Israelites were lost. A few years later, as he's dying, one of his other sons, Adonijah, decides, well, now the old man's pretty old. Maybe I can sneak in and I can become king of Israel. So he starts getting a crowd around him and starts everybody hooping and hollering that, hey, Adonijah's the, the new king. Well, David was still alive and he was forced to get out of his, literally out of his deathbed and proclaim his other son Solomon as the real and true and rightful king of Israel. And a little bit later, after Solomon is established as a king, he has now his brother, Adonijah executed because Adonijah once again tries to kind of do, do the end around on, on Solomon. So this is the family of David. This is the life of David. This is a, this is a man who, man, went through so much. And I look at lives today and we, we, we speak of, uh, again, the issues of life and families. And man, we, we know that there's so much turmoil and so many things going on in people's lives. My question is, how's your family doing tonight? How are things going with you? And then I want to ask you this other question. Do you think that a man or a woman can have a deep relationship with God and still make tragic mistakes in their lives? I believe so. I believe we see testimony of it in the Word, both Old Testament and New. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, the actions of David, they're not excusable in any way. They're not excusable simply because he has a relationship with God that says, oh, well, yeah, but, but I trust God. You know, I said that little prayer back in fifth grade. I invited Jesus into my heart so I can do anything that I want to anytime. And God says, yeah, that's okay. You're my boy. You're my girl. It's, no, no, God does not work that way. In the midst of all of these things, these wrong choices, these, these battles, both because of his own sin, as a consequence of his own sin, as well as these external things that were going, the internal battles that he had with his own flesh, as well as those things that come from foreign enemies. There are so many times in David's life that we see this earnest seeking of the Lord, again, seeking him through deep and pure and true repentance. Beloved, that's the catch right there. That is the catch. I believe that the consequences of David's sin haunted him all of his life. We see some very blatantly, but what we don't see is inside the man's head, other than his writings in the book of Psalms, and we see quite a bit there. I believe that the brokenness and the dysfunctionality of, of his family was probably the greatest consequence 
And that was due to, again, the fleshly passion that was pretty well gone unchecked. As we spoke about earlier, his, his pride got him into deep trouble many times. And a lot of people suffer the consequences for it. For David, though, because of the depth of his love, because of his true heart of worship, repentance was most often quick, complete, and continual. A life of personal sacrifice was David's mindset. How about you? Do you have a a, a true heart of worship? Or are you simply looking for an emotional rush? Good music and good atmosphere is enjoyable by most people. I don't doubt that. Songs that are just right, man, it just flows, the words are good. You could almost not even have a relationship with Christ and enjoy some of the worship that we have here. The sad thing that I am afeard of, if I can use that phrase, the thing I'm afeard of is that many have a great emotional worship but no true worship. There's a couple of ways that you can test your own heart. Testing your own heart, whether you're a true worshiper or whether you just get in with the emotions. And those two things, I believe, are true repentance in your life and personal sacrifice in your life. Because I honestly believe that worship brings out repentance and sacrifice. And without repentance and sacrifice, the worship cannot be true and real. What's true repentance? First of all, true repentance cannot take place without absolute confession. In other words, an owning up to sin without any transfer of blame. And the unfortunate thing is in our culture today, the transfer of blame comes so easy. Wow, you did this. Well, that's because of this and this. Yeah, but you were the one that did it. Yeah, but you don't understand. Twenty years ago, somebody cut me off in traffic, and I've been harboring that anger in my life all these years. It really and truly, some of it sounds just as foolish. When true repentance comes, it's because there's a heart that after acknowledging sin, desires to forsake it. You see, I... I confess, or I acknowledge my sin. I confess it. Now I want to forsake it. That's what true repentance is about. To just say, yeah, I was a bad boy. That doesn't quite cut it. That's really not true repentance. Repentance involves man's thinking, his will, his emotions. True repentance cannot be separated from action. It involves active participation and obedience. For true repentance to take place, there has to be a change of heart in regards to sin. That's really what comes about in this whole idea of acknowledgement, confession, repentance, forsaking, acknowledging the blame. Suddenly, I, I take full ownership and I acknowledge what it is. We see this in David following his sin with Bathsheba, one of the most blatant sins of of David's life, and the one that we think, hey, do you remember any time that David sinned? Boom, the first one, oh yeah, with Bathsheba, that's that's the main one. Now, how how would you like to have that blasted all over for everybody to read for the rest of, you know, uh, humanity? The really bad choice you made in life. We see how David dealt with this sin 
in Second Samuel chapter 12. Turn there with me, if you would. Second Samuel chapter 12. The sin had already been committed. He had already tried to hide it. He had already committed murder against Uriah. He ended up marrying Bathsheba, ended up bearing the son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That was the last verse of chapter 11. Chapter 12 says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he said to him, and said to, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate his own food and drank from his own cup, lay in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this surely or shall surely die. He shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Right now, I just want to tell you, David knew right from wrong. Okay, David had a clear understanding of right from wrong. But here's the catch. Then, David, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. That's the reason his house was a mess. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. That's why Absalom took his concubines up on the roof before all of Israel. He says in verse 12, For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. David said to Nathan, I love it. He didn't say yes, but you know, I just have, you know, this is going on in my life. I was under a lot of stress. I was under a lot of strain. Well, you know, all my other wives were gone. Hey, this was, no. David owned up to his sin. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And because of that, and I believe not just because of the words, but because of the reality of David's heart, Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. The child did die. David's life was still, the consequences of his sin were still there. And beloved, the consequences of our sin, the word never says that we are absent the consequences of our sin. 
If I, if I go out and take drugs all of my life and destroy my health, I can go and I can ask the Lord's forgiveness. And if my heart is right before him and, and confession and repentance is made, he will forgive me. But you know what? I will face the consequences of that abuse to my body. I go out and shoot somebody and yet now come to Christ and ask his forgiveness. If the forgiveness, if the repentance is true, yes. But yet I may end up in, in prison for the rest of my life or even executed if it's in the state of Arizona. The consequences of our sin, many of us, many of you, still live with. It doesn't mean that God doesn't forgive. Well, beloved, it's just the reality of consequences of sin. David writes in Psalm 51, turn there if you would. I, I, we won't have time to read all of it. But in Psalm 51 is the, the prayer of repentance that David writes after Nathan has come and pointed his finger in David's face and said, You are the one. In Psalm 51, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean against you only? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah the Hittite? What about the people of Israel? What about the child that died? All of those are consequential to the fact that David sinned against God. And beloved, when we sin against God, it impacts a multitude of people, whether we think that it does or not. Our sin does not stay within ourselves. And David understood, man, the greatest impact of my sin was my sin against God, and that's what he declares. I've sinned against you. I've done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. In other words, he says, I deserve judgment. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. In other words, he's saying, God, I know you want the inner man. You don't want just an external following. You want someone who inwardly knows you and worships you. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. This is a man who is repenting. This is a man. I blew it big time. Take all that away. Make me new. Make me fresh. Rip this old heart out. Renew a steadfast, a steadfast, one that's going to stay the line. Hold the course. Steadfast spirit within me. Secondly, we know that David made personal sacrifices, and we won't have time to read it tonight, but we find that there with that deal where the 70,000 people had died, there was a point in time that, that David you know, cried out to the Lord that, Hey, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Again, it's found in Second Samuel 24. 
the plague had gone through, 70,000 Israelites had died. In verse 17 of chapter 24, 2 Samuel, David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, he says, but these sheep, what have they done? That's the heart of a shepherd, willing to lay down his life for the sheep, just like our great shepherd, Jesus. He said, let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now, Arunah looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arunah went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, Why is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from our people. And so Arunah said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here's the oxen for burnt sacrifice, the threshing implements and the yoke for the oxen for wood. All of these, O king, I, I, I give to you. He said, may the Lord your God accept you. But then the king said to Arina, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer up burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which has cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers of, for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. What do you think David meant by that phrase? Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. A sacrifice that is not costly is not a sacrifice. It's exactly what a sacrifice is. I, I could pull out of my pocket right now, I think I have 20-something dollars, maybe 30. I could actually pull that $30 out and put it in the offering. You know, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. It wouldn't be a sacrifice. He would have been, <laughs> no, I'll sacrifice your stuff so it, it, it's not going to cost me anything. My, my sin's not going to cost me anything. 70,000 people died. I burnt his ox and his cart. It didn't cost me anything. For us to live a life of sacrifice means that we have to be willing to give above and beyond what's comfortable and even what's normal and, yes, even what's expected. To live a life of sacrifice is really what a worshiper is. A worshiper has sacrifice, has true repentance. Sacrifice springs from that honest heart of worship. Repentance has to be there because otherwise I'm not going to really and truly be connecting with God. I'm just going to be on an emotional high. That's why I say that David was a king who worshipped. Because it was true repentance. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect at all. Personification of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I'll still stand by that. As imperfect as that was. 
but he was someone who was able to truly worship the Lord because he was a man who lived with repentance and true sacrifice in his life. Pastor David has been introducing us to biblical characters through this series, some who knew Jesus, some who only knew the prophecies, but all who were led by their Creator. They weren't perfect, as we see again and again, but that didn't disqualify them. Mistakes don't disqualify you either. God can and wants to use you today to do something incredible for the kingdom. Are you ready to step out in faith? We'd love to be praying for you as you do. So give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We are so glad you tuned in today to Pastor David's teaching on the open word, and we pray you've been encouraged. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you in person, too. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find all the information you need at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.